Welcome to another episode of Hardship, the now of leadership and is. I'm Mila Dishul and have my fabulous co-host Annalisa Ponsky with me. We're doing this new edition of Now of Work. Please use the hashtag of Now of Work and along with Hardship. Let it trend. So how are you, Swaggins? How are you doing during this climate? Oh, it's really bananas. Um, I feel like I'm feeling a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. My heart first got broken when they said that sports were done or postponed indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So that was like the first kind of kick. I was like, okay, so that kind of, you know, changed my day a lot. And then all of a sudden I go to curling. They're like, this is our last week of curling. And then my heart was broken a little bit more. And I was like, okay, there's trivia. I'll still be able to do trivia. And then they closed down all the bars. So like all three of like, you know, some of my major things that I do just to have joy and like not to feel down, they're gone. So now I, you know, I went and I talked to my therapist. I was like, I just really have to like air this out. But like, I feel really down ever since they canceled sports. He was like, Mm -hmm you I would love to tell you that you are definitely not the first person and you were not going to be the last who's come in saying like my life has taken a real like gone real downhill ever since they canceled sports so that's where I'm at right now just trying not to be bored trying Mm -hmm. to do a bunch of different things trying to really be like cognizant of like how I can affect other people during this time and I'm also trying not to give anyone this virus Right, and that's, that's how I am. <laughs> that's important. You mentioned a very important point, trying to be cognizant of how I impact someone else with how I feel. That's so important. And crisis is bound to happen, right? And it happens in a life cycle, in a cycle in, in life. And I'm speaking with my sister. Uh, she lives in a different continent. She currently lives in Singapore. So I was speaking with her and she was like, everything happens in a cycle. And she was giving me so much of insight. And then it hit me, I was like, Oh my God, my sister is so smart. Everything is a cycle. It's so true. And that cycle repeats itself every year, every decade or century, regardless of how minute or colossal the crisis is. And every crisis becomes a wake-up call for us as a society in the way we lead. The current crisis, especially of COVID, has hustled us as a collective global nation, right, to approach the workplace from a different angle. Almost every office worker or every office work, educators, schools, entrepreneurs are pushed to work from home. And is this the new normalcy of work from home? And that's what we're going to be discussing today. And we have invited two brilliant, brilliant people to share their insights with us today. I have Rahila Nuriju, author of Workplace Sanity of Behavioral Psychologist and a Neuroscience of Leadership Practitioner. Welcome, Rahila. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for being here. And we have our other guest, Christopher Lin, who is a talent and organizational development manager and a people developer where he enables one at a core level, their heart. Thank you for being here, Christopher. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we start, right, I want to 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 learn how are you both feeling about the current state of the world uh, regarding the crisis? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. So I was just chatting with Myla before the, um, the, the podcast started. And for me, it's kind of been like a roller coaster. So initially I was like, oh, not bad at home, more time, 
you know, more time to spend with the kids. <laughs> okay. And now it's like, uh, it's a little too much time and too much closeness. So I'm kind of going up and then down and then I can build myself up again with a little self-care and little nurturing, go up and then down again. It's just a terrible ride. That, that takes a whole hit on our emotional health, right? And mental health. So it's, I want to give you a hug, but it's so far away. I, I, nowadays I give people my heart. So yes, like, yes. So, <laughs> so virtual hugs. Um, and yeah, everything will get better and we are here for each other. And Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on it. How, how are you coping about, how are you feeling about the current landscape? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I'm on, in the same boat as Annalie. <laughs> Once I found out that hockey and baseball and everything was canceled, I was like, no, you know, and um, it, it's so, so disappointing. And, you know, my wife will probably say it's actually a good thing because she's like, oh, you're not like paying attention to those things. And I'm like, yeah, but that was kind of like my my thing so um you know and and now i'm probably driving her crazy because we have two kids and now i'm the third child in the house that she has to worry about so um you know having us try to balance uh throughout the day to make sure that we're not stepping on each other's toes is, is a big thing so what hockey team are you a fan of and what baseball team uh, so I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So oh, I'm okay. a I'm a Penguins uh, Steelers fan. Okay. Uh, my dad was smart enough not to raise me a Pirates fan. <laughs> right. So, so uh, being here in San Francisco, I'm a Giants fan. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. I know I like Sidney Crosby. That's probably like my favorite captain outside of like my team's captain. So yeah. If I had to choose. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um I've been living in the United States for coming to 17 years and I've never, I've never followed sports at all. So I call it the American rugby, right? Because <laughs> 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 my husband is yeah. from Wisconsin and he's a Green Bay Packer fan and whatnot. And for the longest time I didn't follow it. I didn't follow Brewers. And then, and then Annalie, was it last year? Last year yes. we went for a friend's uh, bachelorette party and she was like, so again, so you need to to watch the Brewers and, and it was a very different take. After 16 years, now I watch baseball, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, cause it was funny. Cause you know, the Nats obviously went on like their tear and Mila was like, I'm wearing my Jersey. I'm wearing like the t-shirt you gave me, the Brewers shirt. And I was like, be careful out there. You never know what, <laughs> what people are going to give you. <laughs> yeah. So, in times of, you know, we are so closely knitted with teams and we associate ourselves with, you know, whom do we, uh, 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 you know, support. I went, I lost my brain, train of thought for a second, <laughs> right? And especially during these this times of social distancing, everyone is taking it wrongly. But let's look at the crisis. I want to learn about, you know, when we talk about crisis, from a widened lens, how can we define crisis, not just the COVID? How do we actually define crisis? Well, you know, a crisis is when we are bombarded with multiple challenges at the same time, right? And individual challenges or problems, uh, if we don't have a solution for it, it's a problem. But if we already have a solution, then there's no problem. 
we're in a point of time right now where we have problem after problem after problem after change after change after challenge and we're just overwhelmed and that's why we're in this state of crisis and we really don't have any previous experience of handling such a situation before i mean i literally have been watching like hollywood movies to figure about the apocalypse and these viral you know <laughs> diseases being spread to see like how do those movies actually end like what did those characters actually do to solve that crisis kind of getting some certainty as to what should we be doing in this current scenario i love that you <laughs> you said you've been watching movies so i'm not the only one who's watching netflix as do like uh, I didn't know what's that called. My husband uh, told me to watch 28 Days and then I've been watching Alone, uh, Survival, or I'm watching all the survival shows. And at the same time, I've been watching Tiger King as well. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> bananas. so but I, I'm so curious, you, you know, you mentioned multiple challenges all at the same time, right? We have bomb out. It's like a tsunami of water, sand, clay, everything hitting you. Uh, right at the same time and challenges so how what kind of challenges are coming about um, you know what are you seeing in your own communities i know regular that you're right now in pakistan you know you're separated yeah. from your family you know yeah. you are from texas but you're separated uh yeah in, in because of the travel ban i yeah. can't go back yeah <laughs> i was visiting a family here and then the travel ban hit and now i'm stuck here there's like no flights coming or going and it's that's a challenge that's a huge crisis and interestingly myla is that if in normal circumstances meaning okay one two challenges or problems that we have to face we're in a complete different state of mind right uh, we we kind of take one thing at a time and our brain is in a capacity to actually process that and to think rationally and to you know do pro and con analysis and to rationally approach the situation but in this current situation where we are being overwhelmed and bombarded our brain literally has shut down so even there probably is a solution there probably is a way out of the things that we're facing. There is a, a logical way to proceed. There's a creative idea that's going to help us, you know, bounce back or to really get back on track. But even if it's out there, we are not in the state of mind to even be able to think of that solution. Very beautifully said. Chris, I want to hear your thoughts, uh, you know, what, crisis and uh, the state of mind yeah absolutely and you know Rahila put it very well is it's you know we really just can't process what's happening to us um, and for me when I was look, you know thinking about crisis um, really it's really thinking about okay well what is it that uh, would cause me crisis what would be a crisis moment for me and what I was thinking was it's it just falls down to, am I able to function? Am I able to do the things that I need to do? Um, and crisis is different for different people, right? Um, we need to take it in stride and we need to understand that as leaders, people will perceive crisis differently, 
people who already work from home, this is not necessarily new for them. This, they might not perceive this as a crisis, whereas people who are constantly at work in an office or they're at school teaching or you know, the students are at school every day, this might be a crisis for them. So we have to understand as leaders that it's different for everyone and we need to uh, understand that it's also a perception. It's something that we perceive as crisis. So um, we, we need to focus on that as, as a leadership group and as, as people who are leading others that we consider that each person will take this differently. I'm kind of curious what you think, because now that like in order to get through this, we need to really work together, because now this is like the first time that I can remember really being dependent on the actions of other people. I mean, like the collective to make sure that this kind of stops from spreading. I was like, because the only way that we're going to get through this is really if people kind of stay home, which are like, please, everyone stay home as much as you can. Um, but how do you think that this is going to change like how we care for each other and how we view the collective? Yeah, something that I, I've found through this time is that we're actually connecting more with, with each other. Um, and we're actually, I'm hearing people ask, no, really, how are you, right? We're here in America, we're used to the, hey, how are you? I'm good. And then that's it, right? But now it's actually, hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How's your family? How, you know, what are you guys doing to stay, you know, stay safe? And what are you doing to be mentally okay? And that's a much deeper level of connection that we've, I've ever experienced. And I think that this country and hopefully maybe the, you know, uh, as the world has experienced. So I think that this is leading to deeper connections. This is allowing us to actually learn about the people that we work with. This is letting us to build more consistent connection. Um, and something I've actually noticed too is uh, in my organization, we've actually started maybe over connecting a little bit. Um, I, you know, I'm on several different teams and each team now has a connection point through the day. And it's like, okay, like I'm having the same conversation, which is fine. I'm getting to hear about everyone. But now the, the feedback I've been hearing is now we don't have time to actually do work because we're constantly like talking and connecting with people. So we need to start finding that balance um, in our organization. So we, we, but it's good. It, it's nice to see that people are actually creating meaningful connection with each other. I have a quick follow-up question for you, Chris. You mentioned about, you know, now we are connecting more, uh, always having that conversation and not getting much work done. But that happens even in a physical office and even in a physical environment. I used to work for a Fortune 500 company. And when I go into work, it was meeting after meeting and then just side chatter and great whining and gossips and, you know, just, just mindless conversations. And at the end of the day, I will only get work done for an hour. And that has transferred, that has transferred onto the digital landscape as well, how we are connecting. And I'm with you about we are connecting on a very mindful level. And when, we can, when you say mindful level, I agree with you, you know, how are you really feeling? we are really, really digging deeper into, this is not just my colleague, this is just not a person I want reports from, this is not just a person I want them to uh, you know, facilitate my growth. We are actually looking at how are you really doing? Because there are so many different factors around us 
that affects us. It's like making a cake. You need different uh, ingredients to make that cake fluffy, tasty, without sugar. It's, it's I don't know what it is. So, you know, <laughs> that's how it is. But, but that's the reality, right? We, we have a lot of people, you know, I recently released a survey. A lot of people have said that, you know, it's a lot of destruction. It's a lot of destruction, you know, moving online or working from home. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into the two sides, right? There's always a two sides of working from home. Like to your point, Chris, you mentioned like for some people, it was not a normalcy because um, they've already been working from home. But I want to tap into working from home during a crisis. And you mentioned about crisis can look very different from different people's perspective. And, and I feel that during times of crisis, the invisible becomes visible. I remember working from home like 20 years ago. Uh, I was with a company and I had to work from home because I had my own crisis. My mom is paralyzed. She's a stroke patient. She's absolutely paralyzed. She can't speak. She lost a speech from the severe stroke. So having that privilege of working from home was great but at the same time my team did not ex uh, understand what i was going through waking up at 5 a.m showering my mum, making breakfast for her and being that emotionally and then trying to juggle work making lunch for her changing her diapers i didn't have an elder care or someone to come and look after her because it was so expensive so it was between me and my sister taking care of my mom was working from home and our mental health took toll, uh, you know, we, we just kind of like burnt out. So that is the exact same thing that is happening to people from two lenses, right? One is people who are forced to work from home where their childcare is gone, right? Childcare is gone. Uh, they are required to make lunch <laughs> for their kids, trying to diffuse conflicts whilst working from home. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into during a visible crisis, what goes on and during an invisible crisis like myself, experiencing with my mom, what goes on? I want to tap into that. I'll jump, yeah. jump in there. Well, you know, we are, everyone goes through different challenges. And now in this current scenario, I have seen people who, uh, for the first times, they actually, when they're like working remotely, they take their cameras and they give a tour of their homes to their colleagues. So instead of just having a professional work face, they're actually letting people into their personal lives. And while they're working, you know, like my husband just came by and opened the door and it squeaked and I was like going like this to him, <laughs> you know, like, and other kid, people have kids running in the background screaming. So this whole invisible and visible, we're kind of tearing down that curtain and we're showing up as now who we really are. There's nowhere to hide anymore. You know, we could, before this whole scenario, we could show up at work and be a certain person. But now that that wall is gone, now we are working and at home at the same time and our dirty laundry is showing and our kids are crying. And it's that, that whole visibility, now it's more transparent. But I also wanted to touch upon um, Chris's point that in the US, we, it's like when we meet someone, we always say, how are you doing? And you know, they could say, they could want to say something, 
more, but we just expect a really routine answer. I'm fine, you know, fine. But now what I'm telling my own team and my own, my clients is like, you know what fine stands for in today's world? Fine stands for feelings inside need expressing, okay? So don't accept fine from anybody, even if it's your child, if it's your spouse, if it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, your team member, even if your own boss says, I'm fine, I want you to pause and ask them, no, how are you feeling right now? And from a neuroscience perspective, this is so important because we think, this is what, what we're kind of brought up to think, that if we address feelings, if we ask people to share their emotions, it's going to make things worse. You know, they're going to be uh, all become all emotional and then they won't be able to get down to business. It's further from the truth. When we address feelings, there's, there's a technique called labeling in neuroscience. You could even just Google it on Google Scholar, the labeling approach. When we ask people to label, tell me, give me the name of the emotion you are feeling right now. That act of thinking about what am I feeling and giving it a name, it's labeling, actually calms the emotion down and activates what in neuroscience, your prefrontal cortex, which is your logical, rational brain. So before you can ask people to do the work, you need to ask them how they feel so that their emotional systems, their limbic systems, what we call it, calm down and their PFC, their rational brain activates. Then you're going to help them to be in the right frame of mind to actually do quality work for you, for them, for their families. I love it. I, I love that you mentioned about asking questions, right? And, and <laughs> to Chris, Chris's point, the regular's point, uh, when I first came to the US, people would ask me, how are you? And I really thought they were having a conversation with me. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm well, thank you. How's your day? And before I could complete their walk away, and I was like, bloody hell, I'm spe still speaking with you. And you're walking away. And even like with cashes in the shops or even with waitresses, right? Before all this quarantine, I would ask people, you know, how, did you eat? And people would get to shops like, oh, why are you asking me that? It's like, but I really want to know, did you eat? Did you rest well? Uh, did you take a break? Because you are serving me. You are behind a cashier, you know, trying to serve everyone with your groceries or with the food. But if you are not taken care of, you're not going to be here, right? Something might be happening behind the scenes. Like, you know, your, your parent might have passed away. Your sibling might be going through something. Someone, you know, something goes on. So I, I'm with you. Having those true conversations is so imperative. Um, and honest conversations, right? So... Chris, I have got a question for you. So you do a lot of uh, employee engagement, right? Engaging people in organizations. How has the current climate shifted to such a point like the connection level? How do you enable people to show up as their true selves and really make them realize that, you know, 
being digitalized, we can still be human and we can still have that love for each other. Yeah, I, it starts with, you know, individuals leading themselves to doing that, right? And, um, you know, I like, you know, I love your point where everyone is a leader, right? And it, you might not lead a team, you might not lead maybe even one person, but at least you can lead yourself and you can show these things by example. And by enabling others, if you can enable yourself and say, hey, this is what I'm doing, and you can share that out with the rest of the organization or the rest of your team, you're able to, and to Rahila's point, you're able to be transparent and you're able to show others what you're doing and you're able to increase that engagement from that standpoint. So by really you know, walking the walk and showing that these are things that you're able to do to increase your own you know, transparency, you're sharing that you are, you know, this is what's going on with my life right now, right? Here's what's going on in the background here at home right now. Um, and that allows other people to say, okay, it's okay. Let's create this safe space, this psychological safe space that allows people to bring their true selves to work. And that's something that um, we've always needed to do anyway. This crisis has just allowed us to do it even more. It's just given us even more of a permission to do that. And because it's, it's required at this point. We, we need to connect with each other. We need to be able to engage with each other and show that we actually care about one another and we care about our teams because uh, that is how we are going to actually uh, get past and get through this crisis and be able to uh, focus on the work that we need to do. Absolutely. And uh, adding on to that, crisis is an opportunity for leadership to emerge, right? This is the chance. So for in our organizations, people can now is your chance, now or never, if you wanted to step up and really show your leadership skills and abilities, hey, this is the perfect chance for you. Whether you're in an organization or you're in your own home, you wanted to step up and be the role model for your children, for your family, as to how a, a leader conducts themselves. These are the lessons that we are passing on to our children and to our teams and our organizations. And even from an HR perspective, I'm like telling HR people, like, what are you waiting for? This is your chance to earn your seat at the table. Now, do something, take action, rally the, you know, the teams together, execute projects or initiatives that's really going to help your organization weather the storm. Because guys, this is going to pass. It will pass. That's something I know 100% for sure. This too will pass. But when it does pass, where are you going to be? Are you going to be in the loser's corner? Or are you going to be in the winner's corner? So what you do right now as a leader, as a professional, as a parent, is going to make all the difference. What you do or you don't do, your action and inaction right at this moment is going to make a difference. I love, I love what you said that, you know, everyone has got the ability to take action and that's so true. Um, and I want to touch on Chris's point, permission to, uh, to be vulnerable, permission to, to, to be, right? And to regular points as well. But that 
back for the other side of the question. Right? Annalie and I have worked in a lot of leadership projects and, and in university environments and in community environments. And we have seen a lot of situations where people come into, <laughs> come into uh, the limelight where, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. And then when crisis goes, like kind of like dissipates, everything is back into the normal seat, people go back to the unusual way. So my question is being vulnerable, permission to BS, right? And that's a huge part of acceptance under the diversity umbrella that we are missing. And this crisis is pushing us to approach diversity from a more extended lens, like, hey, that can never be inclusion, that can never be belonging without acceptance. It's like accepting how we are. Like Chris, I can see your pillows in the background. That's how Chris is, you know, you can't judge him. Like I have got, oh my God, I, I don't even want to move my camera. It's like, <laughs> it's everywhere. There's like unwashed dishes over there. There's my laundry drying over there. And I'm in shorts and socks. Only the top part is like, I, I look great. But <laughs> right, that, that's the whole part of us showing up as we are. And uh, I want to hear from all three of you. Will the permission to be us just be a face right now? Or will it be a face or an important fa factor of hardship, the new way of leading and us still continue after the crisis dissipates? What, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's what I was actually thinking about too. And I was thinking about framing a similar question to you guys, like just how, you know, looking at like these check-ins or, looking at like, you know, having mess kind of going on in the background, do you guys, you know, really think that this is going to be a paradigm shift in how we view leadership? Um, I would like to think so. I would like to think that there are some people who do feel really liberated or feel really free by this. Because I do think that we've been in this time where we feel, I feel like really vulnerable with what's going on. Um, I feel, I know personally, I feel like this need to like check in on people or say how I feel right now, because that's the only thing that's making me feel better. So I'm just hoping that other people feel the same way and have like this new need. So now it's not just like, what, how do you feel? You're asking like, what do you want now? And what do you need? So asking like those follow-up questions as well. So I think we need to push even further beyond asking how people feel and then asking what they want and they need. And I think always asking those questions to yourself like, is this what I need? Is this structure really working for me right now? Because, you know, as somebody who studied biology and I, we have a scientist in the room, it's not just, you know, function doesn't happen out of nowhere, right? You have to create the structure that determines the function. So I think it's really important to think about. Yeah, and to Rahila's point, um, this is an opportunity for everyone. It's almost like a reset button for us. A lot of us in, you know, who have, worked on leadership or, or management consulting, things like that, or talent, you know, we've known some of these practices to, to be beneficial for organizations. And now again, I see this as an opportunity for that is pushing us into those practices. And Annalie, I agree with you. I think that I hope that this is the new norm because these are things that a lot of us have preached for a long time. And, you know, to be honest, this is, again, an opportunity, especially now that we're seeing um, social, social distancing um, being extended. This is a chance for us to actually create these habits, right? We need these things to become habit. And if we can just make it part, you know, we can just make it second nature, 
then hopefully this will just latch on and this will just carry forward. I'm really hoping that organizations are able to recognize that and say, this is our chance to really set up our culture the way that we want to. Because by the time we come back to our new norm, that's a great way to hit the ground running and set the culture exactly how we, you know, maybe not exactly how we want it, but more towards the, the fashion that we want it to. And we can make sure that our teams are set up, set up for success that way. Yeah, you know, and that's the norm that we should strive for. But unfortunately, looking at from my own experience and looking at history, what typically happens is that at the end of it all, when all the dust settles, there, like we said, there's some winners and there's some losers. Unfortunately, there will be a lot of losers. And what's going to happen is we're going to look at the winners and we're going to say, oh, what did they do? that enabled them to make it through. Oh, maybe we should start doing that now, but it's like a little too late. So for organizations, leaders, you, we need to start not only looking at what needs to be done with all this connection. Uh, I like to say physical distancing, but social connecting. So it's not social, social distancing we need to do. We need to do physical distancing, all right? So the word itself is wrong. And we need to do more social connecting. But I feel kind of sad at the same time because I have a feeling that we're, we're going to see a lot of organizations not make it through because they will not change. They will not adapt and what at the end, what's going to happen, the ones that do make it through, they will become the case studies that everyone's going to be studying. Oh, what were the best practices? Now let's do something. And it's like going to be a little too late, guys. We should, have, we should have learned while we were going. And I really just pray that more organizations, more leaders don't look at this current scenario as just a temporary nice to do things that we're doing. And then we'll go quickly go back to business as usual. No, it's, it's not going to help you make it through this crisis, and it's not going to help you be standing at the end of it all. I love all of your points, and Rahila, you hit it on the nail. <laughs> like, but even those who do, they're going to be used as case studies. And, and Chris, you mentioned something that really, really hit my heart. You mentioned about you know, the culture, you know, setting that culture and resetting the culture and that's such an important facet of how the workplace is everyone has been speaking about the future of work future of work you know diversity in the future work in the future but we can't approach the future without changing the now and that makes me think in order to have a culture a really sustainable culture if you look at every culture around the world how it becomes sustainable how it becomes evolving and innovative is when people are willing to have an open mind and people are willing to change their behaviors leave their ego on the side and listen to their people what works what does not work and that is so transferable to the workspaces as well because every modality kind of like mirrors each other how leadership is uh, in schools in communities in religious groups right in tribes even in the remote parts of forests and jungles in indonesia that are tribes that practice 
culture and diversity, and they're not exposed to this, this, this science. They are removed from in a media. How are they successfully practicing it? So it's time for us to really think about how do we move that mindset from culture fit, hiring rock stars. We only have rock stars, that kind of mentality to really valuing, I value you for who you are, right? I value you for the person whom you are from uh, the struggles that you undergo at home and beyond. So my question leads to now the new work, right? The now of work backs for a lot of things. People, you know, having children at home. Now, is that a window to introduce how we view full-time from 40 hours to 20 hours because 40 hour, 60 hours, 70 hour is like an industrialization concept. It's a factory production line. Will this push people to adopt and really see, have a visionary mindset like, hey, the new full-time is not 40 hours. It's whatever works for people. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I would agree. The you know I get I have the opportunity of um, onboarding a lot of our new hires um, in our organization, and um, what I like to tell them is work life balance is different for everyone, right? Your job might require you to do fifty hours of work, right? Or it might require you to do thirty. Depends on what projects you're working on, whatever it might be, but you need to balance it on your own. You need to be able to do what you need to do. Um, that's what I believe work life balance is. And that's, you know, our new norm for 40 hours a week is, again, it's what needs whatever you need it to be to, I think, get your work done. And I think as, you know, as adults, we need to be able to find that balance on our own. And as an organization and as leaders, we need to accept that and, and say, yes, that's okay. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of managers who say, nope, I need you here nine to five, button seats, and it's like, okay, no one likes that. Like, no one likes to be patronized like that. Um, so what can we do to allow people to just be flexible and uh, bring their whole self to work to be able to get the work done? And we need to accept that. I'm kind of curious because now we're seeing, I feel like for a lot of people, they were told like, you can't actually do your job at home. You can't do parts of your job at home. Now we're seeing that we're seeing entire industries moving to work at home. So like, well, how do you think that affects like workers' attitudes and like management's attitudes? Because now we're seeing essentially, I don't want to say we've been like fed a lie, but it isn't the truth, right? Like now we figured out there's a way. How do you think that's going to affect like the workplace once we go back? And what do you think that means in terms of like mental health for people who really do need that mental health day? I think about people who may be like really depressed and it's really hard for them to like get out of bed like some of these days. How do you think like we're going to be able to care for each other after this? I mean, I think, um, you know, the optimist in me is that, you know, we will be able to learn from this and we're going to be able to um, actually accept people the way they are, right? If they need a mental health day, let's let them take it. If um, the skeptic in me, though, says that, you know, we're, to Rahila's point before her, we're just going to kind of go back to our old ways and we're just going to revert back that way. And I really hope we don't. Um, as far as, you know, what does it look like moving forward? I think a lot of organizations are now going to 
are now having that light bulb go off over their head and see, oh, we can let people be flexible. We can let our teams be distributed. I don't like using remote. So, you know, we can have a distributed work team. Um, and we, that also leads to lower costs from a medical mental health standpoint, right? Because people all of a sudden aren't spending two hours a day in traffic stressed out. They're going to be more productive. So they're going to see an increase in productivity. There's, they're going to see a decrease in costs from, you know, needing to rent out work or rent out workspace, right? They rent out office space and they can see, okay, well, what are the actual core functions that we need within the office? And if people want to come in, great. If they want to stay at home, great. Like we should not be mandating that. And we really need to work towards that flexible workplace, whether it's in the office at home or both. Well, I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. But I like to we want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I try not to be as well. I'm like, optimism, positivity. <laughs> I was like, do not say realism. And it's like, you're real. <laughs> like, but I'm going to, I'm going to be the Debbie Downer here in this conversation. Okay. Because we need to face reality. So if you look at the employment data in the U S currently 30% of the workforce is in the gig economy. And by the gig economy, we mean that they are doing project-based or freelance work. It could be from an Uber driver, right? All the way to an, uh, a software consultant doing coding at, you know, from home. There is a whole range, there's a huge spectrum. So if 30% of the workforce is already operating in a gig economy, and now because of this current situation, we're realizing that, hey, more people could also work from home. We don't need everybody in an office space to work here. We better get mentally ready. And I think it's an employer's responsibility that if they are coming to this realization, that maybe this is not a bad idea, that we could actually rewrite our employment contracts and have everyone uh, service our needs, our, you know, the work that we need done as consultants as project-based workers which is essentially what we're doing now we're moving into that era with so many organizations because of the crisis then an employer needs to be responsible and kind of foresee that happening and then prepare their employees for that new reality and individuals also need to wake up and kind of you know smell the coffee that once an employer gets used to not having to rent office space and not having to pay for coffee and, you know, and cream and sugar for the staff and pay for electricity, who, who will want to go back, right? And reducing costs in terms of maybe benefits even, you know, there's a whole, there's a lot of research out there highlighting the benefits of having people work as contractors instead of full-time employees. So I think, I think we need to kind of, as individuals, also kind of be realizing what's going on. Even manufacturing, I just saw a news report where this um, grocery store or supermarket, they are in their warehouses, they have artificial intelligence. You know, literally there's these robots uh, 
putting things in crates and shipping. And these are uh, grocery orders that are being shipped out. And robots are, you know, putting those orders together. So we are, remember just a few months ago, there was this whole hype about artificial intelligence. Guys, there's this whole new reality coming. We need to kind of be aware and take some protective measures as individuals and organizations need to be empathetic. If this is the new reality, let's inform and let's help our employees transition so that they are not hurt as well in this process. I also agree with you. This is um, when I was like in graduate school, that's what I studied was like topics of inequality. And, you know, actually asking that question, like, what do we do when the actual like economy transforms? So then it makes me think like, what is the government supposed to do in all of this? Because do we like the fact that all of like our healthcare is tied to like employment? Do like, what do we do in terms of crisis? Does like the scope of the government expand? What do we do? Like, I think that it's not just how do we, you know, these huge, like our local organizations, I think it's like, what does the government do? What is the role of the government in all of this? Because it does have to play a role. We've seen stimulus packages being rolled out. We've seen it done plenty of times in the past. But I think it's not just doing stimulus packages anymore. It's just how do we offer social protections? And I mean, a lot of different governments do that. We've seen that in so many different states. And I think that this is another question that I think we also need to tackle as a collective. Yeah, you, you look at California and California has, you know, the ABC law now, right? And where the employment law that um, states essentially, you know, if someone is doing a core function of your position, they are, an empo- in fact, an employee. So that's the fight, right, that Lyft and Uber are having and some of the other industries are having. Um, so it's definitely something that I think government will, uh, will play a part in. And it is also in fact, a responsibility that Rahila pointed out for the organizations to say, okay, this is the, where do we see work going? Where do we see our teams and our employees being within the organization? What is our people strategy? And we need to focus on that empathetic human side of the business and understand that these are people's lives at stake, literally people's lives at stake. So what can we do to set them up for success? What can we do to make sure that they're being taken care of because if you look at the psychology of the actual individuals and making sure that they don't have to worry about their home right we're looking at maslow's hierarchy of needs right they you know they have shelter they have food they have safety then they're they can focus on working versus worrying about like oh my gosh my next paycheck do i do i use that to pay the bills or do i use that to buy food right we need to start as companies we need to start eliminate helping eliminate that so individuals can actually focus and be able to uh, be able to work i i absolutely love the two points that you brought up um Anneli, you mentioned about social protection right and and rahila and chris you mentioned about you know how the work is no longer just you know going to the office like uber drivers i've taken well i've taken lyft Uber, <laughs> and I've spoken so many conversations with Lyft drivers, right? I, I always l- like asking with, uh, speaking with them, saying, "Hey, you know, how long have you been driving?" And and almost ninety nine percent of the time, the responses I get is that, "Oh, I'm just doing this to support myself to pay rent," and and then that backs for the question as to, "So what do you do besides driving?" 
And most of the people, most people who drive Lyft or, or Uber, they are either engineers, software engineers, or marketing professionals. They are professionals. They are with degrees who can't find work or who have been displaced. And this has been going on for years, even before the crisis. And to your point of social protection, Anneli, it, it backs for the question and to Rahila's point as to you know, how are we approaching how everyone is working, right? The innovation of jobs, yeah, robots are taking over, but to the other side of it, it liberates us from doing monotonous works, dehumanizing work, right? A, a, a production line where someone goes to work from 8 a.m., shift works right? from 8 a.m. to 12 hours, like till at night, and then 11 p.m. till the next morning shift work. It dehumanizes you in every way, but automation comes into place to liberate you as a human. Like to find your purpose, to find your alignment, but it's not just your own responsibility. It becomes a collective responsibility of a nation, of a community, of even employees or companies, organizations. It becomes a social responsibility of everyone. And I don't like how healthcare is tied over here with jobs. It, it, this was not inherent. It was a new concept to me when I moved to the United States. I was like, oh, so if I hurt myself, I have to pay or take a loan to go to see a doctor. I can't walk into a clinic when I'm having hay fever and you know having the worst cases of flu. So many times I've been sick in my 16 years living in the United States. I've not gone and see, seen a doctor because I've got to make an appointment. Sometimes I've got to wait five days to go see the doc. Like, what if I die on my fifth day? You know, like, I mean, I didn't die, I'm here. So. But those are, those are real questions, right? So it backs for the bigger question as to the now of work has got ripple effects, how we are as a society, because you live to work, pay for your rent. Someone who's getting minimum wages of $3,000 a month before tax is taken out, and then that reduces up to like, what, 2.5K? Some people even get 1.6K. Rent is not cheap. So that backs for another question of the now of leadership and now of work, right? How are we paying our people to really live a sustainable lifestyle? Are we, are we consciously putting them into poverty, into homelessness, into them being displaced in our society? So that backs for the bigger, bigger question. And I know that we're running out of time, but I want to hear from each of you, you know, quick point or whatever, three points or one point. How can we shift or, or really encourage everyone that a leader who follows can make an impact? Let it be during times of crisis or during times of normalcy, whatever that normalcy can look like. Okay, I'll just start off. Well, in this first, whatever happens is going to happen, right? We're going to get through this. Things are going to change. It's not going to be the back to normal. It's going to be a new normal. But as we are going through this, first and foremost, for anyone who is a leader, whether you're a leader in your home, in your organization, in your community, keep this in mind. There is a very real thing called emotional contagion. 
And how you feel right now is not only going to affect your ability to think straight, but it's going to pass on like a secondary virus to everyone around you. So I highly encourage every individual to really first take care of themselves. Make sure during this time you're getting the proper sleep, right? Get a full night's rest so that you decrease uh, cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Make sure you're taking care of your blood sugar, your physical activity, your spirituality, your social connection in the time of physical distancing, not social distancing. Take care of yourself, take care of your own emotional energy and state, because that's what you are going to be spreading to everyone around you, intentionally or unintentionally. So first, take care of yourself. I, I love that. And I, that goes back to, um, you know, how do we, how do we show ourselves um, and how do we act because other people are going to pick up on it, right? like with our kids, one of the things that I, I believe I read and saw is how are we setting the example for our kids on how we react to times of two times of crisis? And are we panicking? Are we going out and buying all of the toilet paper and, and stocking up? Or are we showing, okay, like, let's take this day by day, right? And let's think of this from a logical standpoint. So um, that also reflects back to the workplace. Like, as leaders in the organization, are we panicking being like, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do. Like, let's, you know, do all of these different things. Or are we actually taking it and saying, okay, this is the information coming in. This is what we know. This is what we're going to do moving forward. And um, at our organization, we're literally taking it day by day, day as we're, and we're telling our teams, you know, it might change tomorrow. It might change next week. This is what we have right now. And this is what we're going to do. And then we will operate from that standpoint moving forward. And uh, I think that that's the only way that we can is we need to start thinking of, okay, what can we do now and what can we control and what, what are things that we can't control, acknowledge those and then go and uh, work from there and, go, and move on from there. Yeah, I think it's just for me is it really was a reset for how I think about things. Um, when you were, you know, brought up the toilet paper, I just remember being like, okay, like this is absolutely ridiculous. This is only going to get worse from here. And then it made me think, I'm like, okay, is toilet paper like kind of the main issue or cleaning products the main issue I have? And I was just like, well, there's people who can't pay the rent. So you're looking on like potentially getting evicted or potentially not paying your mortgage and what are like the long-term impacts of doing that. And I was like, you know, I need to think beyond like the simple pleasures or like the things that I thought were needs and knowing that there's people who live life in greater uncertainty than me. So I think that's really just the big thing that I've definitely been thinking about is how can we care for everybody, people who don't have the same privileges as I have, what can we do and how can we actually have these conversations and bring it up in general? Because I don't think a lot of people thought about that during that time, like, I don't think people really necessarily thought about people in like the gig economy, like we've talked about earlier today. So I think it's really, to me, is just having like a greater social consciousness and really just, I think being kinder throughout like these times of crisis. I love, I love it. I love everything that all of you have shared. Um, kindness is such an important, important act, not just in times of crisis, 
but in times of everyday life. And kindness can come in the form of Rahila, you mentioned about asking, how are you? How are you really doing? Right? And, and Chris, you mentioned kindness can be in the form of what does crisis look like? Because it, it can look differently to different people. Right? And Anneli, you mentioned kindness in the form of truly understanding and caring for someone from an extended lens. And kindness is not a capitalized word. And I see a lot of the times, you know, companies use that as a PR stunt or, uh, you know, to leverage themselves as a brand. But kindness is a core essential human factor that everyone craves for, right? If someone is kind to you, imagine the kind of smile that you have, the kind of uh, remembrance that you have of that person. If someone buy, buys you tea or coffee or buys you a meal, a complete stranger, or even your family member, someone picks up the tab, that's kindness, right? And how do you feel? You feel so valued, you feel so accepted, you feel so wanted by someone else. And that's the kind of feeling that we have to create as a collective community, let, let it be in a localized community or in a globalized community. And crisis backs for the bigger question as to the leadership is not singular, leadership is nuanced and everyone becomes a leader in making an impact, let it be minute or colossal, but it focuses on progression. It's not about, I want to win the race, it's about progression. So I thank you for being here on Hardship, the now of leadership. And as it's, it's, I'm so grateful for each of you sharing your hearts and your minds on the show.